let's go ahead and start. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Father, thank you for our time together again to look into the subject of the origin and the preservation of scripture. And we thank you for the fact that we have the scriptures during times like this of difficulty and trial for many people and for all of us to some degree, but especially for those who are suffering. We know Bruce Mason, who has got the virus, and and maybe there'll be others in our congregation I'm not aware of. So we, we pray for those folks and pray for ourselves that you'll help us to be faithful to you during this time and and to be willing to serve you in whatever capacity you have for us. We pray in Christ's name. All right, let me start this. Uh, everybody see that? So, all right, let's 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 take a look uh, at our questions from uh, quiz questions. Number one, modern speech versions became popular in the 19th century. False. False. That's a little technical question. It's 20th, 20th. century. Yeah, so around 1900 uh, is when these things got started. The revised version in England came out in 1881, <clears throat> but people with the discovery of, especially the discovery of the papyri in Egypt and realizing that the Greek of the New Testament is not some high, uh, high, high kind of Greek or higher kind of form of the language, but the common everyday language, uh, people began to say, why don't we translate the Bible into normal English, everyday English, not the uh, English of <clears throat> the Elizabethan uh, English or, or so forth. So that, that started in the 19th century and a number of, of uh, versions got started. And that starts the whole movement we're going to talk about later of meaning for meaning translations, trying to convey the meaning of the original into a meaning of a normal language today. Number two, the impetus for, for most modern speech versions is to overcome the archaic language of Bibles in the King James tradition. True. 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 That's what they're trying to do is <clears throat> to overcome that archaic language, which by even, even by the beginning of the 20th century was difficult for especially young people, children and uh, younger teenagers and others, and all of us to some degree. Three, Knox's version was translated from the Latin Vulgate. True. True. So most of these modern speech versions were Protestant translators, but Ronald Knox was a Roman Catholic who decided that the Catholics should have a kind of a modern speech version, but the Roman Catholic Church had adopted the the Vulgate as the authoritative, authentic translation back at the Council of Trent in 1546. And it wasn't until 1943 that the Pope allowed translation from the original languages, so uh, he couldn't translate from the original languages. Excuse me. me. A drink here. Four. The revised version was a revi- was a revised standard version was a revision of the revised version. That's kind of a tricky question. The, the, yeah, the order the order is the revised version of 1881 in England. Then the Americans came out in 1901 with the ASV. And the ASV was very popular, as I said, among conservative evangelical Bible scholars, Bible teachers, some preachers. Uh, as I said, uh, Dr. McCune, I remember he telling me that when he started teaching at Central Seminary, and he in the 60s, he used the ASV to, to teach there. And uh, so it was it was it was very popular. But again, it was still somewhat archaic. So when the RSV came out in 1946, uh, evangelicals thought, well, this is, this is good. This is a revision of the ASV. <clears throat> it gets rid of the syndeth and think, you know, all the ETH kind of verbs. It makes it more modern English. And so it was, it was well received. 
remember I mentioned Moody, Moody, uh, Moody Magazine and Moody, Moody Bible Institute, John R. Rice. <clears throat> but then, uh, when the Old Testament came out and it translated Isaiah 7:14 as young woman and, uh, made conjectural emendations in the Old Testament, it was, it was not well received then. And so conservatives have generally not liked it. I mentioned that John Piper used it when he was in college and in seminary, but he, he didn't preach from it. When he went to Bethlehem, he preached from the New American Standard. Now he preaches from the ESV, which is a conservative revision of the RSV. And I'll explain that a little later. Five, the RSV was at first well-received by conservative Christians. I guess I answered my own question, didn't I? Yes, it was. <laughs> Six, the RSV is a heretical translation of the Bible. No. No? Okay. What do y'all think? Yeah, I think Val's right. I mean, it's it's got some problems. It's got some wrong things in it. But you wouldn't say... The whole Bible is heretical. That's kind of a strong statement. Uh, you could lead many people to the Lord with the RSV, you know, and you could teach, preach many good sermons from the RSV. Uh, but it's got some issues, uh, with translation which favor, uh, don't, don't favor conservative Christianity, unfortunately. And so conservatives have backed away from endorsing it generally. So we wouldn't say it's heretical, <clears throat> but it's not to be preferred. And we have, better alternatives all right let's take a look at uh, uh, where we're at we started with William Tyndall in 1526 that ultimately led to the King James of 1611 it was revised a number of times the fourth revision by Dr. Benjamin Blaney in 1769 is really the the King James version that you buy today and you read today then the uh, English church, the Anglican church the, that produced the King James produced the revised version, 1881. The Americans produced their own version in 1901, ASV. And then the, the Americans again produced a revision, the RSV, in 1946. Now, um, I'll show Joyce let's look at page 58. We're going to talk about the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. This is a translation prepared by the Jehovah's Witnesses, what the the Watchtower Bible Tract Society, you know, oh. commonly called the Jehovah's Witnesses. <clears throat> and there's a lot of dates on there. You can see 1950, the New Testament, 1961, the Old Testament, revised in 70, 84, and, and recently in 2013. Let's take a look at page 59. So why would the why would the, uh, the the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation? Because they want to support some of their heretical doctrines. <laughs> so you'd almost say this is sort of a this is kind of a heretical Bible translation almost because it has so many errors, purposeful errors. I mean, you could say the RSV is a difference of opinion sometimes, but there's no difference of opinion here. This is just. Uh, Jehovah's Witness theology uh, forced on the Bible. Now, the personal name of God, Yahweh, is translated Jehovah in the Old Testament. And without any basis, it's introduced 237 times in the New Testament for the word Lord, Kurios. So remember in the Old Testament, there are two words for God for, for that are translated Lord. When it's in all caps, all capital, it's really the name Yahweh or Yahweh. Um, and that's, uh, that, you know, that name, uh, was unfortunately, that's how we think it's, that's how we think the Tetragrammaton should be pronounced today. It was mistakenly thought to be translated Jehovah. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just representing God's name, God's personal name, but Jehovah is not as correct as Yahweh or Yahweh is. And uh, so in the New Testament, you don't have that. You just have a word, kurios, it means Lord or Master, Lord, Master, whatever. It's just a title. It's not a name. And though they put Jehovah 
into the New Testament. Now, the reason, of course, they do that, as you know, is the Jehovah's Witnesses deny, deny the Trinity. So uh, they, uh, they, they introduce this in here and for other reasons. Three, the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And this is reflected in several places in their translation, for example. Most famous one is John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. So see that small g. So remember the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, deny the Trinity and like many uh, Trinitarians, uh, that they're, they're really an ancient heresy that goes back to the early church called Arianism, Arians who deny the Trinity. And so they say that Jesus is a created being. He's a God. He's divine. And you, you can get into some arguments or tricky language. Even liberals will sometimes say, I believe Jesus is divine. Sometimes that word divine just means he's, he's a godlike figure. He's, he's higher than us, but he's not equal to God. He's not father, son, and Holy Spirit are equal in essence and so forth. So they believe that he was created before we were created. He's a created being, but he's raised to a divine status. They deny the Holy Spirit as being a person even. Remember the Jehovah's when it just said the Holy Spirit's a spirit, God's spirit. It's not a person. The Orthodox doctrine, remember the Trinity, is there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three different persons, one divine essence. The Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, deny that. So they do that translation, which uh, is really a, a false translation. And one of the interesting things about it is <clears throat> even liberals don't do that. So when I say liberal Christians, I mean people in the Episcopal Church or Methodist Church or even Baptist. There are plenty of those who who, who think Jesus is just they don't they, they deny Jesus is equal with God. They they, they don't hold to the Trinity and all. But but they <laughs> they say John John believed it. I mean Greek scholars. There are many Greek scholars who are liberals who don't really believe the Bible, but they believe that this translation is wrong. And what do they say? You know, well, they say John, John believed that Jesus was God, but he wasn't. <laughs> so they're at least honest. They, they, they're honest to say this, the Greek really means the word was God, as we have in all of our translations, most all translations of Jesus was God. So that's a long story going into uh, John 1, 1, but, this is a false translation and recognized even by Greek scholars who are not conservatives, who don't even hold to the deity of Jesus himself. They deny it, but they recognize that John believed it. And that's the way he, that's the way he spelled it out in Greek. John 1.18, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God. See, there it is. Small G again. So he, he was, he's a God. In the sense, he's created by God. He's higher than us, but he's not equal with God. John 10, 33, the, G, the Jews answered him, we are stoning you not for a fine work, but for blasphemy. For although, for you, although being a man, make yourself a God. See, a God rather than God. So they do that, you know, throughout. Now they missed one in John 20, 28. I don't know why they did, but Thomas says, to Jesus, my Lord and my God. They missed, <laughs> they missed that one. You know, if they had been consistent, they would have said a God, but they missed that one. So this is a sectarian translation done by the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, to support their heretical doctrines. And of course, they are not true Christians, uh, because if you believe Jehovah's Witness doctrine, you're not a true Christian because it denies the Trinity, denies Orthodox doctrine. So we wouldn't, of course, recommend the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, the Amplified Bible <clears throat> is next. Uh, New Testament, 1958, Old Testament, 62. There's a complete Bible is updated again. Uh, I don't know if you've ever familiar with it. This was produced by a committee of 12 editors working on behalf of a nonprofit group called the Lockman Foundation. Now, the Lockman Foundation is a foundation out of California. And um, 
they have also produced the New American Standard Bible. They're most most noted for the New American Standard Bible, which is a Bible that uh, many of us have used, and many churches many churches use the New American Standard Bible. But they they produced this uh, first, the Amplified, <clears throat> uh, whose purpose was to reveal together with single word English equivalent together with single word English equivalent to each key Hebrew and Greek word, any other clarifying shades of meaning that may be concealed by traditional word for word method of translation. This is accomplished by a system of square brackets. So this is what we might say a paraphrase. It goes even further. It's almost like a commentary. As I say, it's partly translation and partly commentary. Although the amplification may at times be helpful, the danger is that a multiplication of words may say more than any author actually intended. So look at Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, wholly devoted, concentrated. So you see the words in brackets or parentheses, as well as and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable that is rational intelligence service and spiritual worship. You'll not be conformed to this world. That is this age fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind. You see, it goes on and on. So it has this system of brackets and parentheses to try to bring out the meaning, what they see as the meaning. So it's kind of a commentary. Now, what's interesting about this Bible, you see, produced in 1958, the Old Testament, 1962. I can remember hearing many conservatives, many fundamental preachers quoting the Amplified Bible in the past. Uh, Bob Jones uh, would quote it, John O. Rice. Uh, many preachers would quote this. Now, they wouldn't today. Now, what's happened is uh, back when this was produced, the King James Version was the version. There wasn't any kind of strong King James only movement in the fifties or the sixties. There was no strong King James. Everybody was using the King James. There was no challenge to it. And so preachers would sometimes quote this like, like a commentary, like Pastor Ken will sometimes say, uh, some John MacArthur says, or some a Bible scholar says this, or he said last week, Dr. Bruce Compton says this and notes on. So, uh, they would, many preachers I've heard back in those days would, quote this. Now, since the King James only movement started, many of these fundamental preachers who hold the King James only won't do anything like that because it's heresy to quote anything but the King James. You can't, can't use any Bible but the King James and you don't be, you don't want to be quoting another Bible or correcting. I used to hear, and, uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, Ed can remember this, uh, you'd often hear preachers in their preaching <clears throat> say, the Greek says this, or or you could more tra- translate it this way. You wouldn't hear that in a King James only church today. Uh, they're very strict about that. So I just say, I mentioned this one because it used to be uh, mentioned a lot by pastors when I heard them preach. Ed, did you ever hear anybody uh, quote the Amplified Bible? Ed Martin? Say yeah again. Did you ever hear anybody quote the Amplified Bible from the pulpit? Did you, your mm, preachers, do you remember that? Mm. <laughs> no. You probably don't, don't remember. I don't know if Dr. Rice ever did. That was later, but I can remember, I can hear, I can remember Bob Jones Sr. doing it and uh, others like that doing it. So it was popular. I'm, and that's, that's why I had the picture of Joyce Meyer on the next page because Joyce Meyer, uh, the well-known, uh, uh, lady preacher, whatever, uh, teacher of Joyce Meyer Ministries, she uses that in her preaching and teaching and she has her own version of that. Uh, so it's still is it around. Okay, Dr. Combs, is it okay if I take a screenshot of all of us on the screen with Joyce? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that'll go over well. <laughs> Almost looks like she's on the call with us. It does. Oh, that's true. It does. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe she's teaching the lesson. You know, we're just sitting here in awe. <laughs> All right. 
So let's look Dr. now. Yes. Dr. Combs, what's the difference between the brackets and the parentheses in that version? Well, it, it, the brackets represent more extensive commentary and the bracket, the, 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 uh, the parentheses are, are simply different ways to translate maybe, you know, just slightly different translation. Whereas the brackets are more like a commentary inserted. That's the theory behind that. It's not a terrible thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a terrible Bible or anything like that. Um, well, I let's talk like about the, the extra. Huh? <laughs> I, I kind of like it. <laughs> well, yeah, I think people do because they, they can read, you know, and that's why people like study Bibles too, is that, you know, in the margin you have notes and like MacArthur, we have in our resource center, we usually carry two study Bibles, the NIV study Bible, which has notes, uh, you know, study notes and the MacArthur study Bible, which has study notes. And those are very helpful as you're reading along. You can look down and sometimes get some help uh, about what's going on. <clears throat> so let's look at uh, the New English Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know why I've got something in my throat tonight, but. So I've got that line <clears throat> drawn down from the top because I'm trying to show by that that this is a brand new translation. All these others on the left are revisions of revisions of revisions. But the New English Bible, I say, is a completely new translation authorized by the Protestant churches of the British Isles. So this is the same group that produced what's on the left. Same group that produced, I mean, the revised version of King James and all that. But now they want to, now they, they, I say it came out as a desire to do something about the revised version, which never had fully replaced the King James version. So even though the revised version of 1881, uh, most churches in England still use the King James. So they were trying to produce a more modern, up-to-date version. So it was produced in 1961, Old Testament Apocrypha 1970. Uh, it was under the direction of C.H. Dodd. He was a very famous British scholar. It took 24 years to complete quite an undertaking. It's been accused of having a liberal bias like the RSV, and it also has more conjectural emendations than the RSV. In Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God is translated a mighty wind. Well, that's troublesome. That's very troublesome because we believe the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God, and he is a person. He's not just a mighty wind. He's not just a, a, a force sent out from God. In Luke one twenty seven, whereas most versions read a virgin pledged to a married to a man, the New English Bible reads a girl, uh, as one might expect. There are a number of Britishisms. Now that Luke one twenty seven is a real real problem, uh, because. In Luke one twenty seven, that's a Greek word there, and it's a Greek word which means virgin. It doesn't mean anything else. Now, remember back in the Old Testament, we had Isaiah seven fourteen, and uh, the RSV uh, translated that a young woman rather than virgin. Now, the the Old Testament word Alma, there is some conjecture about that. There is some division of opinion. Uh, I, I think you can make a strong argument. I'm absolutely certain it should be translated virgin, virgin. It's virgin every other place in the Old Testament. But, uh, there's no question that, uh, this word, Bethula, this word in the New Testament means virgin, virgin. So you look at any Greek dictionary, it means virgin. It doesn't mean young woman. So this is really, uh, uh attempt to insert liberal theology people who deny the virgin birth. So by this time in 1961, the Protestant churches, these are the liberal Protestant churches. The churches of England have, have, have taken the, the Protestant churches have become quite, quite uh, liberal. And that's a very sad thing. And it's still true today. The Anglican church is mostly liberal. The church of England, <clears throat> the, the, the church of Scotland is pretty liberal, mostly liberal. 
And so this shows up in their translation. So we wouldn't recommend the New English Bible. It's, again, it's not a terrible, terrible Bible. It's okay. But uh, it does have these liberal tendencies that are being pushed. I mentioned below the where I give the example, I, I say uh, number four here, the entire uh, Bible was revised in 1989 is now known as the revised English Bible. Roman Catholic scholars participated in the process. A more conservative approach was taken, for instance, in Genesis 1-2, a mighty, would cha- a mighty wind was changed to the Spirit of God, but not capitalized. <laughs> so, you know, they, they, they went to, back to the Spirit, but they didn't capitalize Spirit. So, this revised English Bible. And I've got some, uh, examples there it's you know you can see therefore my dear friends i implore you by god's mercy to offer with your very selves to him to offer your very selves to him as a living living sacrifice dedicated and fit for its acceptance the worship offered by mind and heart conform no longer to the pattern of the present world but be transformed by the renewal of your minds then you will be able to discern the will of god and to know what is good acceptable and perfect All right, let's look at page uh, 61. We want to talk about a couple of Catholic Bibles now. The Catholic Church for so long, um, for uh, the last few hundred years especially, for its almost entire history, except its entire history from the 600s on, has discouraged... uh, uh, people from reading the Bible. And, uh, this was especially, especially put forth at the Council of Trent in 1546. Uh, people shouldn't read the Bible because they'll get confused. They'll, they'll get into heresy. They'll damn their souls. So they should just ask their priest. <clears throat> Unfortunately, priests over the years didn't know much about the Bible either. But, uh, eventually, uh, the Catholic Church opened up to individuals reading the Bible. In fact, they have, I think they have an indulgence for reading the Bible. So you can get so many years out of purgatory for reading your Bible every day. So they now encourage it. So they, uh, the Jerusalem Bible was the first complete Catholic Bible translated into English from the original languages. So finally now, Remember, we had Ronald Knox for that modern speech version, but it was from the Latin Vulgate. So now we have, from the original languages, a Catholic Bible produced by 27 Roman Catholic scholars, including Tolkien, you know, who he is, right? Everybody know who he is? The Hobbit? Yeah, the Hobbit. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Lord of the Rings, the author of the Lord of the Rings. So he was on that committee. He was a Roman Catholic. Uh, it gets its name because it received its impetus from the French, French version, uh, the Bible of, from Jerusalem, of Jerusalem, published in 1956 by the Dominicans at the Bible, Biblical School of Jerusalem. The French Bible began in 1903 when the Dominicans at Jerusalem began translating from the original languages, sending copies to priests in France. This was kept underground, remember, because it was illegal, at least for the Roman Catholic. The Vatican did not permit translations until 1943. What about this Bible? Well, it contains some Catholic bias. The brothers of Jesus in Matthew 12:36 are said to be not Mary's children, but near relations, cousins, perhaps. Did you just read that? Now, why do, why do they do that? Why do they have that in there? To prop up the doctrine of Mary's perpetual virginity. Perpetual virginity. So Mary remained a virgin all her life. Uh, <clears throat> and so well, how do you explain these brothers and sisters? Well, they're not really Mary's children, but near relations, perhaps. You know, they could be, they're, they're said to be, Joseph's children or maybe cousins. You know, it's just, it's nonsense. It's clear with, that Jesus had brothers and sisters. But they have this doctrine of the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. 
The Apocryphal books are interspersed among the rest of the Old Testament books. It was revised in 1985 and now is known as the New Jerusalem Bible. It is the most widely used Roman Catholic Bible outside the United States. So outside the United States, this is the Bible, the English Bible, I'm saying. If you live out, if you live in Britain or somewhere like that or, you know, in other countries and you're reading English, you're a Roman Catholic, you're probably reading this Jerusalem Bible. American Catholics prefer what comes next, the New American Bible. So let's look at that, the New American Bible. This is sort of an American counterpart to the Jerusalem Bible. Um, Two, it had its beginning as the Confraternity New Testament, (laughs) 1941, which was a revision of Bishop Chaloner's revision of the Douay Reims under the sponsorship of the Episcopal Committee of the Confraternity of Christian Doctrine. Like the Douay Reims, the Confraternity was based on the Vulgate since the Roman Catholic Church did not allow translating from the original languages until Pope Pius XII issued his encyclical letter permitting it in 1943. Once the Pope did that, then translations from the Vulgate was abandoned. The New Testament retranslate was well, you translated from the Greek along with the Old Testament and the Apocrypha from the original languages. So let's try to explain that on this chart. So remember the first English Bible, Roman Catholic Bible, English Bible, was the Douay Reims, 1609-1610. And that was translated from the Latin Vulgate. And remember, the King James translators themselves make reference to that Bible in their preface to the reader. The New Testament had come out, and they saw that, and they make reference to it. So Roman Catholics had a Bible, but remember this Bible was not for the average reader. This was was translated for priests and Catholic scholars to refute Protestants. Remember we said that after the Protestant Reformation, you have Catholics debating Protestants. And Catholics need a, Catholic scholars want an English Bible they can use to refute uh, Protestant uh, English scholars. In 1749-50, Bishop Chaloner, a Catholic bishop in Britain, revised that, again, using a Latin Vulgate. And then in 1941, uh, another revision was started, another revision in 1941, called the Confraternity New Testament. Now, I can remember being in Catholic homes and seeing a Bible and opening it up, trying to witness to Catholics using their Bible. And in the front, it would say Confraternity New Testament. I didn't understand what it was at the time, you know, but you could still witness to them out of this because... Uh, Romans 3.23 was there, Romans 6.23, you know. You could go through the Romans road using their own Bible. But if you open that Bible up, it said Confraternity New Testament. Well, that was done in 1941 from the Latin Vulgate, and then the Pope all of a sudden in 1943 says, hey, we've got to permit, we're going to permit translation of the original languages. So they redid the Confraternity New Testament, reworking it based on the original Greek, and they added the Old Testament from the original Hebrew, and that became the New American Bible in 1970. Uh, I mentioned on the next page, 62, the New Testament was revised in 1986. The Old Testament was revised in 2011, and the entire Bible is now known as the New American Bible Revised Edition. So if a Roman Catholic in America has a Bible, now they could have any Bible. They could, they could buy King James or they could buy an NIV or anything, you know. But if they had an approved Bible, it would be either this older edition, the New American Bible. I've seen Catholics have that. Or they would have this revision, which is called the New American Bible Revised Edition. Now it's important to get the, the words here straight because one of the Bibles that's used in our circles our evangelical circles, John MacArthur, for instance, 
It's the new American Standard Bible. <laughs> so there's a lot of difference between the new American Bible and the new American Standard Bible. So don't get those two confused. The new American Bible is a Roman Catholic edition. The new American Standard Bible, which we're going to talk about next, is an evangelical Bible translation. So let's talk about that. The New American Standard Bible, uh, as you can see from the chart, it's a revision of the ASV. So New Testament 1963, Old Testament 1971, and it was updated in 1995. So the edition that that uh, most people use is the 1995 update. What they did in that update was, uh, well, I'll talk about that in a moment. This is a revision of the ASB by 58 scholars whose names was were not disclosed at the time under the sponsorship of the Lachlan Foundation, but they were conservative evangelical scholars. It's a literal translation by conservative scholars. It seems to have been spawned by the conservative reaction of the RSV, which was an earlier revision of the ASV. It became the preferred Bible of numerous conservative evangelicals, John MacArthur, to this day. <clears throat> so, so remember we talked about the ASV of 1901, which was popular with Bible scholars, Bible teachers, and some Christians. It was adopted by the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, but still the King James dominated then the RSV but it had that liberal bias and so conservatives decided to produce their own revision of the ASV the New American Standard Bible 1963 for the New Testament now this was revised as I have here in uh, number 9 was issued in 1995. Now, what did they do? Passages with Old English, these and thou's have been replaced, have been, have been updated to modern English. <clears throat> so the, these and thou's, um, which were in the New American Standard Bible have been removed and let, and no longer there. B, words and phrases that could be misunderstood due to changes in their meaning during the past 20 years have been updated. C, verses with difficult word order of vocabulary have been translated. D, sentences beginning with and have often been retranslated for better English in recognition of differences in style between ancient languages and modern English. The original Greek and Hebrew did not have punctuation as found in English, and in many cases, modern cases, English public, public uh, punctuation serves as a substitute for and. In the original. Now what's going on there is Hebrew is kind of funny. <clears throat> Hebrew, almost every Hebrew verse, every sentence begins with a word that's often translated an. It's just a connector. And, and if you translate it literal, you'd have almost every Hebrew, every Old Testament sentence, and, 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 or but, but they have this connectors and most translations leave that out because it doesn't sound good in English and it's just a connector. It's, it's not exactly what we have in English. Some cases, uh, they use then or something like that. So, um, the New American Standard 1995. Now, I don't know if John MacArthur uses that one or the old one. I'd be interested to find that out. And the reason I say that is because what I'm going to tell you in just a moment. Some news that just came out about three or three days ago, three or four days ago about the New American Standard. Not this news, but the next news is, is they, they're going to have an update. <clears throat> it's been announced for 2020 or 2021, but I understand they're going to call it the 2020. Uh, they've been, they've been announcing this. They have a Facebook page and they've been announcing this for several years. It was supposed to come out in 2018, then 2019, 2020. I don't know if it'll make it this year or not, but it's going to, it's going to make some changes. And if you go to the Lockman Foundation, well, actually, if you go to, I think their Facebook page, I'm not sure. They, they tell you some of the changes they're going to make. Um, so that's coming out in 2020. 
But some people, particularly John MacArthur, is not happy with this uh, 2020. What's going? What they're going to do in the 2020? Um, so he he's not happy with some of the changes that are proposed to be made. So MacArthur and Master's Seminary is coming out with their own revision of the New American Standard Bible called the Legacy Standard Bible. Put LSB there on the screen. Legacy Standard Bible. So he announced this a few days ago on their website. We don't have too many details, except that it's going to be a very literal translation. It's going to be more literal than the New American Standard 1995 and more than the 2020. Um, so um, it's going to be very interesting. So he's not happy with uh, apparently the changes that are proposed for the 2020. And I don't really have this down <clears throat> fact. I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I've been told that it's going to be based on the 1963 edition rather than the 1995. Now, I don't know. I don't know that for sure, but that's what I've been told is going to happen. So we'll probably hear more about this. So they're starting to work on it, but it's going to be several years before it comes on. Hello. Who's that? Gordon? Yeah. Good to have you. So, oh, uh, you. by the way, uh, Dr. Combs, I, uh, Actually saw a uh, YouTube video just last night about uh, John MacArthur and uh, um, his uh, his uh, working on a uh, a new uh, version of the uh, uh, NASB. So it's it's kind of interesting to talk about it today. I just saw this last night. Yeah, that's what I saw too. <clears throat> that's what I, that that uh, that you. I guess they have a YouTube channel, so. But I think I saw it from on their website uh, that they have. So, so yeah, he's working. They're working on. It's going to be. It's going to be people from the master's college and seminary. So professors from the master's college and seminary are working on this, and it's going to be a more literal, word for word translation. And we'll talk about what those differences are like at the end of this class. That'll be the last lesson. Is what are what are the, what are the what are the differences in these translations as far as theory of translation is concerned? But it's interesting that they're going back to this uh, more literal translation theory. So we'll see how that works out. But the New American Standard is <clears throat> is still. I mean, I know Inner City. I think Dr. Dorn still preaches from the New American Standard Bible. They switched from the King James some years ago, and uh, uh, so. We'll see how that goes. And so let's look at uh, page 63. And we're really kind of jumping back and forth here. Now we're going more to a paraphrase, a modern speech version, but very paraphrastic. The most popular one of all time, as a matter of fact. The Living Bible. The Living Bible. New Testament 67, the Old Testament 71. So this is a free paraphrase. Paraphrase means uh, being very free, adding a lot of words in to explain. I mean, the theory is good. I mean, in the sense of you're trying to help the reader. Uh, the problem is it gets very interpretive. It becomes, it can become very interpretive. And that's a debate about how much do you want to interpret because there's differences of opinion about how to interpret certain passages. So when you get over into the realm of paraphrase, and I'll explain that in our last lesson, <clears throat> what these differences are, that can be a little bit of a problem. But I'd say this is a free paraphrase of the ASV by Kenneth Taylor. He worked on it during his 45-minute train ride between his office at Moody Press in Chicago and his home near Wheaton, Illinois. Now, notice it's the uh, paraphrase of the ASV, not the New American Standard Bible. Because remember, uh, the uh, New American Standard is a revision of the 1901 ASV. Well, then when he started doing this, apparently the New American Standard was not out. 
when he started doing this paraphrase, uh, the New American Standard was not out. And so he worked from the ASV. Now, why did he do that? <clears throat> well, he wasn't a Greek scholar uh, or anything, so he used the ASV as a very little translation. Uh, number two, it was originally intended for his children, ten of them, who who could understand, I guess I, well, I got that mixed up, who could not understand, should say could not understand, the King James Version. So that, this is like what we talked about before. You know, there's young people have problems with the King James difficulties, especially. Uh, the reading level of the King James, they, they, there's a way to look at literature and classify the educational level necessary to understand. Uh, and there's a scale for that. It's a lot, there's obviously subjectivity to that, but the King James is the most difficult, you know, modern English translation around to understand. It's usually put at a 12th grade reading level. And that's a very good 12th grade education. <laughs> so children in the seventh grade or eighth, you know, sixth grade have difficulty with the King James. So, uh, he was doing this for his children and he had this train ride, 45 minute train ride where he worked in Chicago at his home near Wheaton. Uh, he couldn't get a publisher. He worked at Moody Press. But Moody Press would not publish his work. So he self-published his translation of the epistles called Living Letters in 1962. Now, this is a book I've seen in numerous bookstores and resale centers is Living Letters. In 1963, Billy Graham read it and ordered 50,000 copies for his TV audience. Later, Taylor, Taylor be, began his own publishing company, Tyndall House, which is still around today, because of the tremendous response. So this thing became an unbelievably successful translation of the Bible, these, these living letters. I mean, as far as uh, stupid business decisions, I suppose you could say, Moody Press made a big one here <laughs> because this thing sold millions and millions and millions of copies. Uh, you know, just 40 million copies by 1997. So they could, <laughs> they could have, you know, made some money and helped their publishing business, but they didn't really see the value in it. <clears throat> Dr. Combs? Mean, yes. Yeah. I, uh, I was saved in 1978 and that was the first, uh, Bible that I read. I just, uh, I just couldn't believe it. I just kept, I just kept reading and reading it. I could, I could understand it. But uh, it probably took me. Uh, I only took probably took took me like two months to read it yeah. all the way through. <laughs> well, Ed, you're the, you're the reason why it sold forty million copies, <laughs> and 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 you're the reason. And and here's the problem. So the people at Moody Press who do this kind of work are people like me, people who are seminary professors and train people like that, and we tend unfortunately, to to like really literal things, word for word. You know, we want it to be word for word. But the average person, like you, newly saved, they want to understand the Bible. They're right. just, they, just, they just want to read it and understand and get something out of it. And they pick up something like this, and, and it makes sense. They understand it. It's extremely popular. And so <clears throat> that's what's driven these modern speech persons is, is not – it's not publishers primarily. It's not Bible scholars. It's not teachers. It's people in the pew who want to understand their Bible. They're constantly told to read their Bible uh, and, and understand your Bible and follow your Bible. But if you don't understand it, it's fairly difficult to do that. So uh, you're the you're the reason. So Billy Graham, of course, when Billy, if you get a if you get Billy to say your book is good, you know. Naturally, a lot of people, but it, it, it was, it was just <clears throat> very helpful. I mean, if you look down <clears throat> at Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's not all that different, but it says, and so dear brothers, I plead with you, uh, give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and custom of this world, 
but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Well, I mean, that last, that, that last part is not, is not at all what the, what the, <laughs> it's not at all what the Greek is saying there. What the, you know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will satisfy you. Well, there's some truth in that, but it's really, you will learn God's will. That's what the text is saying. As you study the Bible, you will be able to understand his will. Well, that doesn't exactly say that. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. So that's the problem. It's very readable, very understandable, but the accuracy can leave a little bit to be desired sometimes. And so uh, what we really need is something that is more accurate but more easily to read. And that's where something like the NIV comes in. You see, I'm a big NIV pusher. <laughs> Let's go back up here to uh, number three. The Living Bible has been published under a variety of titles. Reach Out, The Way, The Way, Catholic Version, Soul Food. I mean, it was just extremely popular in the 70s, 80s. Um, the work became uh, very popular in the 1970s. It accounted for about 46% of all Bible sales in the USA. Currently, the Living Bible has been translated into nearly 100 languages. Tyndall House reports that by 1997, its sales had exceeded 40 million copies. Amazing. Although well-intentioned, intended, it was well-intended. Kenneth Taylor was doing something he thought was very good, and he, and he was well-intended. He wanted to produce a Bible that it could be read and understood. Unfortunately, it contains a, a little too much paraphrase and too much interpretation. It contains numerous incorrect translations and even profanity, amazingly. I don't know why it does. First Samuel 2030 has SOB in it. Now, why a Bible translator would put that in there, I don't know. <laughs> Acts 13:48 reads, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very, very glad and rejoiced in Paul's message, and as many as wanted eternal life believed. Now, that reflects his own theological belief that uh, he's, what may I say, an anti-Calvinist, because you remember that text says, as many as were ordained by God to eternal life believed. But uh, uh, that reflects his own theological beliefs there. So that's, it has some mistranslations. But what it does show, it did show was the desire of people to understand their Bibles, which is a great desire, a good thing. And on page, uh, yeah. Yeah. So later I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, we're going to see if there's a revision of this that, uh, that we'll be talking about. Uh, let's look at one more and then we'll finish tonight. Uh, we can do this quickly, I think. Uh, I should have shown that there. <clears throat> There's Living Letters, 1962, from the ASV. And uh, that's what I was showing about Acts 13, 48. Living Bible says, as many as wanted eternal life believe, but every translation has ordained, appointed, Appointed, appointed. So it's appointed by God, not what they wanted. So he really is, you know, his own theological beliefs are coming through there. Let's look at this last thing, the Good News Translation. 1946, the New Testament. 1966, I'm sorry, the Good New Testament. The Old Testament, 1976, the Apocrypha, 1979. This is a modern speech version of the Bible sponsored by the American Bible Society. So we're still in that modern speech kind of version, but this is the American Bible Society doing this. The New Testament was released in 1966 under the title Good News for Modern Man, the New Testament in today's English version. Now, when I was coming along as a Christian, we called it Good News for Modern Man. 
and this was this caused a lot of controversy, consternation. Uh, conservative churches were really speaking out against this. This is sort of the beginning of the King James only kind of movement. You can see that. But it's also speaking out against it because of some of the uh, non-conservative translations. It was a work of one man, Robert Bradshaw, who worked for the American Bible Society, aided by a consulting committee of five members. It quickly became the best-selling paperback book in American history. Now, you'd have to live in those times to remember. I don't know, Ed, do you, do you remember this Bible at all? Good News for Modern Man? Any talk about that? I remember it. I remember people came in our neighborhood and knocked on doors and gave us each family a copy of it. Really? Yeah, it was a white Bible with blue print on the outside, and it was a paperback, and they uh, they came door to door and gave us uh, copies of the Bible. And who was that that did that? I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you. I was yeah. so young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was I was a young teenager or sure, junior sure. higher, maybe that sure. age, and right. um. I lived in a kind of a rural area in, in central Illinois, and they passed them out to everybody in the town. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, well, it was it was extremely popular. And why was it so popular again? Well, very readable. Very readable. Very easy to understand. A second edition was published in 67, third and 73. By 1976, 52 million copies had been sold. The Old Testament was was produced by a committee of seven Bible translators headed by Bradshaw. A new edition was produced in 1976 with the Old Testament. The name was changed to the Good News Bible. In 2001, the name was changed to its present title, the Good News Translation. Three, the Good News Translation was originally produced for those in foreign languages who were learning English as a second language. Thus, it used a limited vocabulary, simple grammatical construction, short sentences in common language. It's been accused of some liberal bias, young woman in Luke 127. Well, that is liberal bias. And unfortunately, Bratcher is not a conservative. So that is one of the problems in Bible translation. Once theology can come through, and it does here, because as I've said, there is absolutely no basis in Greek for translating uh, Luke 127, the Greek word there, as young woman, it strictly means virgin. But, of course, uh, that's what liberals tend to believe. So it was very popular uh, in its day. And, and conservatives, when I was in, when I was uh, saved and when I was in, in church and when I was in college and seminary, there was always people railing against this version, talking about it and, 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 and speaking down about it. And I mean, all kinds of tracks were written against it and so forth. Uh, and some of them were overboard. It, it, it does deserve some criticism for that Luke 127, but <clears throat> it's, it was, this was sort of the beginning of King James only, uh, version. And that it, it was the subject of that kind of negative criticism. All right. Sorry about my voice tonight. <clears throat> I don't know what's happened here. Got some drainage, I think. Spanish drainage. So, uh, next week we hit the new international version. Oh. And I think we have, you know, uh, we'll be finished in a couple weeks. So two okay. more weeks and, uh, we'll be finished with, uh, so that would be about the 22nd. So we'll actually finish, I think, probably about a week earlier. But we 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 originally had scheduled not to meet tonight. This was supposed to be our Easter break. But since everybody's at home and can't can't go can't go to Florida or can't go to Disney World, we thought we would just continue our teaching uh, tonight. And so I'll be this or watch Survivor. What's that? Was this or watch Survivor? Is that right? Well, you might be a survivor if you get through this. (laughs) (laughs) So how's everybody doing? Anybody sick or anything? Any problems with that? No, I feel good. Feel feel really good. My family hasn't evicted me yet. (laughs) Okay. So uh, I guess Bruce Mason is the only person I know of, right? 
who has the virus that we know of. Yeah, as I, far I as know some folks from. Uh, yeah, I, say, I know some folks from outside of our church. Yeah, I texted Bruce uh, yesterday and asked him how he's doing, and he said he's sleeping a lot. He's just fatigued and tired, but says he's doing okay. So I think this thing, I guess, some people get it hangs on quite a while, doesn't it, and so forth. All right. Thank you so much, folks. We'll see you next week, Lord willing. Bye-bye. Take care.